Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin' Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. Uh, we're available beyond the FM dial. You can listen to us live worldwide at our website, www.radionorthland.org. Or if you miss us live, you can check it out at that same website on the Rasslin' Memories page, which will link you up to a very cool SoundCloud compilation of the past Six years of wrestling memories. In fact, we are in season seven. We are halfway through season seven, so so we're doing uh, pretty good uh, so far. But you can also get us, too, if you want to listen to us live on TuneIn. That's a hot little handy little app for your smartphone, and the best part about it, it's free 99. Free. I'm Glenn Broggett, and uh, sitting up here in a nice little studio in northwestern Minnesota, but out in his mobile studio at uh, Rasslin' Memories Then and Now South is the one and only... Grizzled veteran Michael McCurdy. And Mike, are you ready for another round of wrestling memories then and now? I'm always ready for some wrestling memories, man. Always good to talk to the guys and hear the stories and all that and a chance to preserve the, the history of this business. So, I mean, that's why we're doing this show. This isn't just for entertainment purposes. But it's also the archive of these guys' stories, so we can pass them on down the road. So. Absolutely. Well, I think we're doing a good job. I think so. We had some fun episodes, some fun guests, and, of course, uh, the Facebook page, the online stuff, still doing quite well for itself. Uh, Rasslin' Memories then and now uh, Facebook page. Uh, you can get that on the group page, too, uh, Michael. Uh, pretty pretty cool little array of people on that little website, uh, little, or that little Facebook page. i got to get my terms right. I'm feeling like a, I'm 20 years behind now. But on our Facebook page, it's, uh, it's pretty good stuff. Our social media is uh, picking up, man. I think we're close to about a thousand followers um, through both pages. So Twitter and Instagram is coming soon, and you know we got the blog page coming up here pretty soon that I'm working on now. So you know, and soon, and soon, just to let the listeners know, we're even going to have a little wrestling memories in and out merchandise. People mm. can have a cup of coffee and a wrestling memories in and out cup. I'll while they sit and listen to our show on Sundays. And some may want to have a shot, maybe get a shot glass, maybe maybe in the future. But anyway, uh, great, uh, great, great thing to have you back in and aboard down in the mobile studio down there deep in the heart of Texas. Our guest today is no stranger to the uh, Lone Star State. It was one of many stops he made in his pro wrestling career. And uh, he's just been on social media and really starting to share some stories of his life. And, and, and it's been a really fun to kind of be a part of that and listen and, and have him on the, the wrestling memories page he uh, has held some titles he's uh, held the texas all-star tag team championships with al madrill he was a texas all-star usa tag team title holder with dizzy golden he also uh, held uh, for a time the nwa alabama heavyweight title on a couple of occasions and he was involved in the pacific northwest teaming up with avalanche of course who later on became pn news up there uh back in the day he was the avalanche in the pacific northwest it's a very uh it's great to just have him back and and have out there uh, online and it's always wonderful to have him on uh welcoming him to the program uh, it's a big warm welcome and thank you for taking the time to out of your schedule let's welcome to wrestling memories a man who has had his fair share of pro wrestling memories mr mike golden mike good evening uh at the time we are talking uh, tonight hey thank you man it's good to be on your on your uh uh podcast and talk to everybody man so you answer the question you ask the questions and i'll answer them all right, we are going to be uh, hitting you up here. Uh, like I said uh, before we got on the line, it's going to be uh, pretty painless, but it's going to be a trip back in time to talk about some of the places that you uh, had the good fortune to work and, 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 and some of the highlights uh, from, from each and every. But the first main question, of course, we everybody asks when they're talking to somebody uh, from the pro wrestling business was, uh, did you watch it as a kid? How did you get involved with the business? Uh, what, what drew you to pro wrestling? Uh, first off, were you a, were you a fan? Well, uh, honestly, I come from Oklahoma, and every Friday night, Danny Williams was a, a, uh, the ring announcer, and they had Leroy McGurk, who promoted the wrestling in Oklahoma. And he was blind, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, they had the Assassins. They had uh, the K Assassins and Kentuckians. They had Danny Hodge, uh, Joe McCarthy from Tiger Tail, Tennessee. I don't know if you, anybody remembers him, but... When I was seven years old, my daddy ate, slept, and drank it, and we were at the wrestling matches at Stockyards Coliseum in Oklahoma City. As I as I got older, I, I would go to the wrestling matches after football season was over. Every Friday night, when football was over, I was there every Friday night, and all the all the heels, I hung out with them, and they they come out of the dressing room and just sit by me and talk to me as I got older in my teenage years, you know. And I said, man, that's what I'd, I'd like to do that one day, man. I, I had a lot of college scholarships 
offered to me. But, you know, after after you play team ball, you really just want to go solo where you don't have to babysit nobody except yourself. And and that's how, that's uh, later on I, down the road I met the Freebirds and that's how I got into business. Buddy Roberts, Terry Gordy, had a had a big uh, saying in training me and stuff, you know. And then Michael Hayes was always in the office, so I just fell right into it, man. I was lucky. Yeah, yeah, very fortunate to have uh, friends uh, like the Freebirds. But what was it like uh, to be under the wing and to be trained by by those guys? I mean, these guys are at the moment it, where you were getting your 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 wings in the pro wrestling business. These guys had such a stranglehold with their with their feuds and uh, you know down in Texas with the Von Ericks. That was uh, an epic epic feud. Uh, but yeah, what was it like to be under the wing and to be trained and and, and to learn the Freebird way, but also develop your own style? First of all, let me just tell you this, the Freebirds weren't normal, and I kind of fell into that uh, that, that class, too. I mean, we just we were, we were just got along, you know. And Buddy and Terry would take me down to the Sportatorium in Dallas, and in the meantime, Stone Cold Steve Austin was, we would be in the ring first, or, or however, whoever got there first. Chris Adams was trained in Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was uh, stunning Steve Austin then, and they would set whoever got in the ring first that day or that that Saturday. Well, uh, they would they would wait and and you know sit there and watch or whatever, stand by the ringside or whatever. And 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 that, Terry and Buddy had helped me out, and then Chris Adams trained Steve Austin. It was it was something, you know. I was scared to death first time I ever had a wrestling match, man. I didn't know what I was doing, but I rode the roads with them and learned how to work. Most of the time, other than getting in the ring and learning how to take bumps, the Freebirds, the psychology I got in the cars with them, that's where I got my psychology. So I, because I could ask them, what what happens if you do this? What happens if you do that? And that's what you you got to learn that man. I mean, because you, you can't just get in the ring and think you're going to be a superstar. You just get your ass whooped. And when you started too, you you weren't you weren't under the bill. You didn't have the gimmick. You weren't Mike Golden. You you were working uh, some of the shows uh, for World Class under uh mike gallagher i mean so you were you were coming up and but you were working with some guys just looking at some of the match results uh, around 1984 when you were working for fritz uh you were working with butch reed who was bruce reed at the time oh you're working for missing link uh, working against the missing link jake the snake roberts so i mean you're getting this education from the birds but you're also in the ring with some pretty top-notch guys yeah, and and uh, they knew I, they liked me, you know. I mean, they knew I was trying to make it, you know. And they they uh, you know, some guys would go out there and just eat you eat your lunch, man. But but those guys liked me, and they they helped me, you know. I mean, it's it's amazing, you know. That business, you can be made or broke in in one match, and I'm telling you, I've seen it happen a lot, and I, I'm blessed, man. Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to bring in Mike uh, McCurdy, uh, my co-host, because Mike is a, a very uh, big, big fan of world class and all things world class championship wrestling. And I, I think he might have a few questions about uh, some of your earlier days working uh, in, in Dallas uh, for, for uh, Fritz and the, and the rest of the boys. Okay. Well, well, the first question I'm going to ask, man, is I've heard so many stories about the sportatorium, people's memories of that. I'd like to hear some of uh mike's memories of the sportatorium uh hey, i'm gonna tell you right now the bon erics were the most over bunky kids i ever seen in my life back when the free, when the free birds came in there that was the hottest thing you you ever i mean i i've been around there a lot i watched them on tv and everything but there was no body that was really over like the free birds and bon erics and and man i mean they tore that building down they 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 wrestled there on I think it was Saturday night maybe I'm wrong about that maybe it was Friday night and then Saturday night they w- went to Will Rogers Coliseum which was uh, Fort Worth and it, it was the same old they had a great crew there Wild Bill Irwin was there uh, you know the Super Destroyers uh, which was Scott's uh, Wild Bill Irwin's brother with Skandar Akbar they had a hell of a hell of, hell of a talent in there Gino Hernandez was there I mean they had a great bunch of guys that could work you know and man that, that was there when the freebirds wrestled devon erickson texas uh, uh at texas stadium the old texas stadium and there was fifty thousand people there man the place was packed there's a lot of great talent there man plus killer con was there now uh, you mentioned skandor akbar i uh, just here a few days ago uh it was the anniversary of his passing um can you tell us a little bit about 
you know, Skandar Akbar. Do you have any any stories you can share for, about him? Well, Skandar Akbar, uh, his real name was Jim, uh, Jimmy Weba. His brother was a disc jockey in Oklahoma City called, no, wait a minute, his name was, uh, no, his uh, Jimmy Weba was his real name, and his brother was Del Viva Weba. He was a disc jockey in Oklahoma City, and he told me his real name on a road trip one time, and I said, uh, man, you ain't getting to that disc jockey in Oklahoma City, and, and uh, he goes, yeah, that's my brother. And I was a little kid, I heard that name, you know, <laughs> and it scanned our Akbar goes, uh, told me he goes that was my brother. And I said I can't believe that man. He was a he was one of the greatest disc jockeys ever. Skandar Akbar was a great guy, and I'm gonna tell you in his day he was a hell of a worker too. He was real good. He always called me Oklahoma City. He goes, Ah oh, yeah, Oklahoma City. <laughs> now, when was your run in uh, the world class territory? Uh, uh, eighty two, nineteen eighty two. I didn't uh, man. I was just learning how to work. I, Buddy uh, got me in a school in Amarillo, Texas in, in 1982, and I went down there for Dennis Stamp. And I lived in Oklahoma City, and I drove 280 miles one way. And I went down there about 12 times and bumped in a ring and learned. And Dennis Stamp was running a school. I don't know if you remember him or not, but he uh, had this wrestling school down there. And I went down there every other weekend for 12 weeks. I come back and... Buddy called me up one day and said, hey, man, can you go to Lawton, Oklahoma with us to, uh, uh, we're wrestling the Bon Eric's down there. And, and it was like 60 miles from my house. And I asked my boss, he knew I was training to get into it, you know. And he said, yeah, go ahead. So I went down there and I told Buddy, because Dennis got me booked in Kansas City for two matches. And then I went to St. Louis for two more. And me and Dennis didn't kind of G-haul on that little tour. So, uh buddies were driving down the road to Lawton. He goes, uh, you don't need Dennis stamp anymore. He said, uh, he said, uh, you can just, uh, I'll call you and you come to Dallas. And he goes, you can live with me. And I said, are you for real? He goes, yeah. I said, well, okay, man. That's, that's how I got into business, man. That's how I started. You mentioned Dennis stamp. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners may recognize the name from, uh, beyond the mat, the documentary. He was uh, a referee that they asked him, he was going to ref a match thing was Terry Funk and Bret Hart, and all he said was, I wasn't booked. Um, what can you tell us a little bit about Dennis Stamp? Because the, the name is pretty com- you know, known in uh, certain territories. I mean, he, he was evidently, he was friends with Buddy, and we went down there, and, I, and Private Terry Daniels was helping guys train. And we, Man, it was so hot in Amarillo, Texas. It was 85 degrees in a barn with one opening, and these, these ropes were made out of cord. And every time you hit the ropes, you cut yourself. But, man, I, that's what I wanted to do. And, and Dennis Stamp was, he was a good guy to me, but that, that little road trip we made, he accused me of something that wasn't right, and uh, and it included Buddy. I'm not going to go into all that detail, but uh, I just I just uh, said my piece, and I'm about straight up as you can get. So uh, when I when I have a comeback for what you got to say, I mean, that was kind of the end of it. And Buddy, when I told Buddy about it, he pulled his car over, over on the side of the road, and he goes, you don't need him no more. And I said, he goes, you move in with me. I said, okay. I go, when you want me to come? He goes, two weeks. Not bam, I was gone. What kind of stories can you share with us a little bit more about uh, Buddy Roberts and the Freebird? Because like you said, 82 to 85, that was probably the hot point for world class. That was the beginning. You know, 82 was the beginning of the, uh, you know, Von Eric and Freebird feud. But the Freebirds, I mean, even now today, there are fans in the Dallas-Fort Worth area you mentioned the Von Erichs. They love the Von Erichs. They still hate the Freebirds. They made their stand. Yeah. They made their mark on professional wrestling. What was it like actually getting to you know be on the road with the Freebirds? Uh, you know, Buddy Roberts was one of the original Hollywood Blondes. Did you know yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. Well, Buddy Roberts, Buddy Roberts was the bumper. Terry Gordy was the muscle, and Michael Hayes was a talker. And I'm telling you. I, I, I'd go down there to those rings and bump and bump and bump and bump because you can't walk until you learn how to fall. And and Buddy was that guy. But I'm telling you, they 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 took me from the ground up and taught me how to work. If I should, if if I wouldn't even gone to this, this ain't no bad thing to say about Dennis Stamp, but I already knew how to bump. But if I didn't know how to bump, the Freebirds would have taught me. You know. But I, I patterned myself after Buddy because 
he bumped a lot and I bumped a lot too, but all the psychology I got in the, in, in the, uh, about wrestling came in the road trips with them. Cause I could ask them anything. And I was fortunate, man. Most guys, they, they wander around there for five years and wonder what the hell's, why, why would I do that for? They ain't got it. I, I, all the questions I needed answered, it was buddy, Terry, Michael, and me in the car. And I could ask him anything. And I lived with Michael in Florida, man. And and he was in the office, and I was a nobody. I won two matches in eight months, sir. And, and they they just, but I, they smartened me up to the the psychology of wrestling. Are there any? Uh, well, let, let, let's say safe for radio uh, stories, like behind the scenes, you can share about uh, the Freebirds. Because I've heard plenty of them, a lot of them from Michael himself. But is there anything you can share? Any like fun memories? Well, we all lived in this house in uh, Tampa, and it was Jimmy Garvin's house. It was Percy Pringle, who was Paul Bear, me, and Percy lived upstairs. Buddy and his wife lived downstairs. Terry Gordy and his wife lived downstairs, and Michael Hayes did too. Well, we go to Miami. Miami is like 300 miles one way from uh, Tampa. We, we're coming back, you know, we come back, you know, and stuff, and Terry... And Buddy are pissed off about their payoffs from Eddie Graham, you know. We all, we, you know, we didn't get back to like two o'clock in the morning, man. It's a long way. And I, I went downstairs and talked to Buddy and them. They go, man, they're they're drunk and they're mad and over their payoffs and stuff. We're gonna stay up all night. We're gonna be there at seven o'clock in the morning. We're gonna go talk to Eddie Graham. <laughs> I said, okay, man. I went to bed, man. I was asleep. So at ten o'clock in the morning, Percy. Uh, comes over there and he kicks my bed, you know, and, and I get up and I grab person. Man, I got out of that bed and I grabbed his ass, had him against the wall. Man, don't you ever kick that bed? I, I'll beat the hell out of you. And I had my, I had him by the throat with my hand fixed to hit him. He goes, Golden, Golden, the house is on fire. He, I said, What the hell are you talking about? I said, Look at the vents beside your bed. The the vents from downstairs. The smoke was coming up there. And Buddy, what happened was Buddy was smoking a cigarette in Jimmy Garvin's house. And the fire, come, they were so pissed off, they were just irate, you know. And the, the fire comes off of Buddy's cigarette, and it falls into the cow, uh, the chair where Buddy's sitting. And it catches on fire. So uh, Buddy goes into, runs into the kitchen, takes a pan, and, and fills it up with water, and throws it, put the fire, uh, the, pan, the water on the fire, and it simmered, and Buddy grabs a chair. Terry went over and goes, I don't know what to do, man. And he said, oh, Buddy goes, open the front door. And so Terry opens the front door, and Buddy sits a chair out there on the porch, and his damn thing is it's seven foot high in flames, man. And, and uh, man, I go, we go downstairs, and by this time, they took the chair from the porch to the side of the house, and Terry Gordy, this 300-pound beast, is sitting over there with this guard hose holding it by two hands and it's just the water just barely spewing out of it and i come out of that side door man i'm pissed off you know because percy kicked my bed and and i go terry what are you doing he said man the whole house is on fire and i said man have you told connie and janice about it buddy and terry's wife he goes no and i saw go in the house and go, go to open the door and, and Terry goes, okay, Fabe, man, don't open that door. There's smoke all in there, man. I said, Terry, you got to open the door and let them out. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, you mentioned uh, your connection with the fabulous Freebirds. Uh, I, I want to know, uh, what was your interactions like with the Von Erich family, of course, with the main patriarch, Fritz, and, and the, his sons back in, in those days? Well, I, I worked them, but I was green, man. I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, men, men, Terry, and... Uh, Mike went to Corpus Christi and hung out for three days. Terry, uh, Terry Von Eric's birthday was the same day as mine. And I got along with him, but I, you know, I, I wasn't, I was just getting into business there, you know, and I, I left there and I went to Florida. So, you know, I, I just, I, I knew him, but I, I wasn't really, uh, I was riding the Freebirds coattail. When I went to Florida is when I, I, I really learned how to work because I'd work one, one night, you know, maybe, Three nights later, I'd work. You know, they just used me sporadically. I just rode the roads with the Freebirds mainly when I was there because I had so many guys they were they were using. They didn't have a spot for me. 
you were able to uh, take off and, and get a little bit more uh, active action uh, working with uh, Championship Wrestling from Florida uh, around 1985. Yeah. And uh, yeah, very turbulent times, uh, especially for that, that company. But uh, what, what do you remember about going in and with, with, with Michael and, and the Birds and uh, your, your first taste of, of working the Florida circuit as, as it compared to some of the spot stuff that you did with, with Fritz and, and World Class? When, when I got to Florida... Uh, I was just, Michael, I lived with Michael Hayes and, and he was, he was the booker and, and, uh, you know, I just, this is about the time, you know, I, I got my foot in the door, but, uh, working TV, but I, man, I always get along with the, you know, people that don't like a lot of guys. I mean, Rick Rudin may got along great. Uh, Hercules Hernandez got along great. Uh, you know, people that ain't normal. That's the kind of people I get along with, man. I don't know why, but. Those guys took me under their wing too, and and then Wahoo, the Freebirds left and went to New York, you know, and Wahoo came in there, and Wahoo wrestled a guy, and I don't know, I can't remember his name, but Wahoo just uh, his first TV match, and he just totally obliterated him, you know, and the guy wouldn't fight back or anything, you know. So the next week, I I, I look on the uh, the the lineup, and I'm wrestling Wahoo, and I mean Wahoo. Wahoo bashed me in a corner and chops me, and, I, and and he didn't think I'd fight him back, and I, I fired his ass up too, and he shot me. He he hit me. I hit him again. He he shot me off the ropes and uh, chopped me, and I got up, and he walked right into chop. I mean, we damn legitimately fought. fought. And and uh, I come after the match. He beat me, you know, and I come in uh, in, in the dressing room, get ready to take a shower. Wahoo's doing an interview, and and uh, he comes down down the hallway, and he goes. Where the hell's that damn Mike Golden at? And I said, Oh God, he's this so bitch is pissed, you know. <laughs> and he and this son bitch, I was bare ass naked in the shower and Wahoo comes into the shower with me, he goes, God damn it, Golden, that's a hell of a match. He goes, You're booked every night, man. That's how I started my wrestling career. Oh, he wow. booked me every night. And then I trained Kendall Wyndham and he called me and and once I learned how to work, you know, he called me in there. And he goes, I want you to train Kendall with him. I'm gonna pay you a hundred dollars more a week to train him. And I, and then I was married to Kendall for probably two and a half, three months. Man, I wrestled him every night, every every town, everywhere. And and before when I left there, hell, that boy could work. Hell, he's in, he ended up going to WCW, man. I want to talk about uh, some some of the people you were able to work with. You mentioned Wahoo McDaniel, and you also had the, the good fortune while uh, down in Florida to uh, well towards the end of his unfortunate life, uh, short life. Uh, you had a chance to work with Jay Youngblood uh, as well as with uh, his brother Mark. You and Rick Rude worked oh. some matches with them. What are your memories of, of working with Jay Jay and Mark uh, uh, with you and Rude back in the day? Uh, well, Rick Rude was uh, he 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 put me under his wing, man. Uh, uh, Jay Youngblood, God bless his heart, and I ain't saying this in a bad way, but he used to chop me. He chopped out of me, and I wouldn't fight him back. And about about the, maybe uh, fourth, fifth, fourth or fifth match, me and Rick Rude, he come in later. You know, he goes, man, don't take that off him, fight him back. And so and so, me and me and Jay had a match one night. And Jay chopped me, and I chopped him. And he chopped me, and I chopped him. He come up after the match was over. He goes. Why'd you chop me like that? I said, I got tired of taking your, I ain't taking it no more. <laughs> and he goes, you come a long way, Mike. You come a long way. But Rick Rude is actually the one that taught, told me that, man. Rick Rude always liked me, man. But, you know, his wife lives, his ex was, well, not his ex, but his wife lives in Rome. I live in Cartersville, Georgia. I met her before. She's beautiful. Rick Rude was crazy to get some gun. And, you know, Hogan wouldn't even wrestle him. He handpicked his opponents. He well, would not wrestle. That is a mean. He was a mean son of a bitch. And he came day. from a good stock up here in uh, in the Twin Cities in the Robbinsdale area with all of those guys that ended up uh, being trained by Sharky Eddie Sharky with the Road Warriors and Nikita Koloff and, Henning, the, and the like. Henning, uh, there was yep. Kurt Henning and Barry Darso and. Yep. Oh yeah, they were all they all went to the same same high school together. I asked them all one night. I said, "Who's the toughest son of a bitch in all your class?" 
in the whole class, he goes, Rick Rude. Every one of them said that. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, this is Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Uh, I'm Glenn Broggett along with the grizzled vet Mike McCurdy with our special guest, Mike Golden. And uh, b- before we get into talking about your run in the, the Pacific Northwest, I, I want to talk about not working for world class, per se, but heading back to Texas and uh, being a part of, well, what was Southwestern uh, Championship Wrestling that uh, morphed into the Texas All-Star uh, Wrestling? Of, of faction or company that was, uh, I guess, the uh, alternative to the, what the Von Erics were doing in Dallas, what was happening in the San Antonio area. How did you get hooked up with uh, the Texas All-Star outfit? And uh, let's talk a little bit about your, your run there. When I was in Florida, Wahoo, Wahoo really liked me, man. And he, he calls me and tells me to come up to the office, you know. So I come up to the office. He goes, Golden. He goes, uh, I, like I said, man, I won two matches in eight months, but I learned my how to work and wahoo uh calls me and t- tells me to come up to the office and i come up to the office he goes golden i got somebody in texas that's really interested in you and i go well who's that he goes chavo guerrero he was the booker man i loved it in florida i didn't want to leave but you know i knew i had to and i said well there ain't no way i could stay here and just take a little time off he goes golden get your ass in texas right now you know the beach was there oh god it was it was a hell of a place and I knew I had to do it. I just I was just messing with Chief a little bit, but I really love Tampa. But he said, he's going to push the hell out of you. I said, really? Man, I couldn't even do a damn interview. I'd never done an interview when I worked in Dallas you know, or uh, anywhere in Florida. I never did one, you know. I go down there to to San Antonio and Chavo Girls and Booker. And, and then I had to... I, you know, the first time I come in there, I had to do interviews. Man, I couldn't do an interview. Man, I never knew how to do one. So I bought me a stopwatch in a 30-pack and set it in the bathroom one night and, and learned. I just sat there hour on hour, learned how to do 30-second interviews, two-minute generic interviews and everything. And when I got to San Antonio, man, I already knew how to work, but you got to know how to work and talk. And that's how I learned how to do it. And the boys would stand around the ring wanting you to mess up, you know. They never see me sweat again. And I, I guarantee you I screwed that first time up. I, I couldn't even talk. I didn't know what to say or anything. And it's ad lib. you got to ad lib it. And you got to know what. When they stick a microphone in my mouth today, you can bet your ass I'll own that son of a gun. Because that's, that's how it was, man. If you were a commodity. If you could wrestle and you could talk, that's how you did it. And, and, you know, hell, when I was in San Antonio, Shawn Michaels was 19. They had some damn good talent there. And then they went from Texas All-Star. See, Joe Blanchard owned it. Fred Barron bought it from Joe Blanchard. And then they went into satellite TV, and they went all – it was Texas All-Star. And then they went – when they went to satellite TV, they went to USA All-Star, and it was shown all over the world. And when I come to Atlanta, every damn body in the whole damn parking lot I stopped at, I was going into this – to a gym there. They go, there's Golden Boy Mike Austin. Man, how these people know me? And they were doing superstars of wrestling on Channel 69 in Atlanta, showing all of our matches. And how big was that, though, to have uh, have that uh, your company at the time be a part of Joe Petticino's television block? Because, boy, back in the mid to ni- mid nineteen eighties, uh, it was a pro wrestling fan's paradise in some parts of the country. Thanks to that, and it's just the uh, the early advent of cable television, so people were starting to see more. And and like you said, you you went to Atlanta from a show that was emanating from Texas, and you still got recognized, and they still knew what you were about. So, man, there was a really uh, a real power uh, to what they were offering in those big those big uh, blocks of programming yeah and they did live interviews that that show was seven hours superstars wrestling man they showed out all the territories but i was fortunate enough in florida i met jody hamilton the assassin you know and he and when i came to uh georgia he was running independent show on thursday friday saturday and sunday and, and man, I, I hooked up with him right away. And, and uh, then I had a wrestling school and, you know, that road gets long every night, man. You got to take a break every once in a while. And so I just worked independent shows with Jody Hamilton, but hell, he ran the damn Omni. Uh, he ran some big, big shows and stuff, you know, and I worked with a lot of underneath guys that weren't quite seasoned yet, which, you know, wrestling too was there shows and stuff, you know, but. You know, a lot of guys that Jody was training and stuff like that, you know, he was, Jody was over the 
training uh training center for WCW. You know, mm-hmm. at the power plant and, there, and yeah. There, there's there's some damn he had some damn good boys, you know, and I worked all of guys, man. And there was but, a lot of uh, lot, know, lot Jerry, of talent there though in Georgia at the time because you know you had Jody with his company, but you also had Jerry Blackwell that was doing his uh, promotion as I well. Worked with, I worked with him too. I worked with him too. Before, and Jerry Blackwell had connections with AWA, and I worked Henning, Bachwinkle, all them guys, man. They came down, and Jerry Blackwell was man. He he took care of me, man. I, I got nothing bad to say about Jerry Blackwell. He, but he he had those, uh, he had those connections up there in the. American Wrestling Association, you know, and they'd come down and work for Jerry and stuff. And man, I he he ran like four or five days a week too, you know. And he'd go, Mike, come over and work for me. And I said, Well, I'm hooked up with Jody. I didn't want to cross no roads with him, you know. But uh, I I was I was faithful to to uh, Joe, Jody Hamilton because man, I mean, he's a great guy and he took care of me. And, you know, his son's a great guy too. He saved my ass one night. I was gonna hit. I hit, I hit a fan and, and he grabbed me in the headlock and put me in my car and got me the hell out of there. <laughs> you, yeah. You've learned how to be a heat magnet through the years. And I want to go back to your run in Texas All-Star because a guy that you were partnered with and sometimes ended up feuding with was a guy that just heat in this man were like magnet and steel. I want to talk about a guy that just wasn't right as a face. El, Alberto Madrill, Al Madrill. This was a guy that just radiated heat wherever he was at. He was more of a guy that... Uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but I will anyway. He uh, he kissed a lot of ass, and I didn't. I didn't do that. I don't know how how you do that, man. I don't know how to do that. I ain't gonna kiss no promoters. I say either like me or they don't. Together as a tag team, he was one of the best guys I ever teamed with. He he didn't like uh, me drinking and and hell. I was trained by the Freebird. What are you supposed to do? Change your way of living? Nah. You know, he he talked behind your back, and man, I'm gonna tell you something. That business, man, you, it, it, uh, they talk behind your back all the time. I was I was a straight up guy. I didn't talk about nobody unless I could back it up. And I and sometimes I said so they they'd know it and come and ask me about it just so I could, you know, if we had a moment, walk outside and take care of it. But uh, you know, when and he goes, Mike, I know we've had problems before, but can we get along? I just stood up. I was lacing my boots up, and I looked at him. I go. No, <laughs> no, I'm done. I'm done with you, man. And, but he, I, he's, I, all, everything, I hope everything's good with Alma Drill. I got, that's all I got to say bad about him. I, I, nothing else, man. He wasn't, he wasn't an outlaw like me. He wasn't, <laughs> he was nowhere near that. He was a law abiding citizen. We're going to bring into the conversation Michael McCurdy as we uh, talk about your run in the Pacific Northwest. That's another area uh, uh, that Mike uh, is very much interested. Uh, Michael, could you come back into the conversation and uh, ask a few questions about the Pacific Northwest uh, days uh, with Mike Golden? Uh, I think I can do that. I'm enjoying, by the way, Michael, I'm enjoying (laughs) to hear the stories you got to tell and all that. I'm sure we'll have you on again some other time for, you know, another hour because I'm sure you got a lot more stories to tell. But right now, yeah, let's talk about uh, Portland wrestling a little bit. That would be Don Owen territory. And you were in there. You had Buddy Rose. Uh, a lot of the guys are – can you tell us just a little bit about your run in the Portland territory and some of the guys you worked with there? You remember Steve Dahl and uh, Scott Peterson? The Southern Rockers, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they brought me in. Lynn Denton was a booker. They brought me in to uh, teach Avalanche, which was PN News, how to work tag matches. You know, you know who I'm talking about, PN News? Yes, the, uh, the rap master from a WCW. Yeah. Well, back in PN News, he could barely he, he he could barely work, and and I had to I had to teach him the psychology of tag matches, and and uh, that wasn't easy. He was he was 400 pounds, and we went as the Beauty and the Beast, and it was against the Southern Rockers, and we me and him stayed together. And I had to stay in in his ear all the time to teach him the psychology of wrestling in a tag match, you know. And 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 they they might have should have waited a little bit to do it because man, he was green in tag matches. I go, you got to tag in and out, you got to tag in and out, tag in and out. And he, I said, you're four hundred pounds, use your force on them and stuff, you know. It took it took a while, and thank God Lynn didn't realize that because. It, it couldn't have been an overnight thing. If they'd have done that an overnight thing, that would have been bad. But, you know, uh, PN News, 
man, for a big man, that guy could work. When I got done with him, he could work. And the night we beat the Southern Rockers, oh, it was pandemonium down there, I'm telling you. And Steve Rocker, I mean, uh, Steve uh, uh, Dahl and Scott Peterson were over. They were over. I'll tell you what killed kill that place was when WWE, we had a big show planned out, uh, and they broadcasted it for a month and a half. And then Vince, that's when Vince went on that tirade about owning the whole damn world of wrestling, you know. And they ran to Portland, uh, where the Portland Trailblazers played, and we were uh, running that little sportatorium thing. And, and they put Savage and Hogan on top. And boy, that 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 hurt old Don Owens, man. Ain't kidding you. Don Owens fired me three times down there. Well, there's a lead to my question: is what can you tell us about Don Owens as a uh, promoter? Because I've heard the good and the bad uh, about the man. He 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 didn't really like me, and I didn't give a damn. I mean, in that business, I'm gonna tell you, man, in that business. Yeah, I don't, I didn't give a damn if you like me or not, but I always spoke the truth. And uh, that that's probably that's probably a bad thing, but uh, to me that's just the way I live and or the way I was. You know, in the wrestling business, you'll learn real quick who's your friend, who's your enemy, and you can do it before you get in the car and ride with them because you you read their eyes, man. You read their eyes. And and his son didn't like me, and and Don didn't like me, and and you know, hell, I, they they fired me three times and I left. I'd had enough of them, man. You said at the time Lynn Denton was the uh, the booker there, and obviously you know Lynn Denton known around uh, the territories as the grappler. Um, what can you tell us a little bit about Lynn Denton? I've known him for years. He's been a guest on this show in the past. What can you tell us a little bit about uh, the grappler, Lynn Denton? Uh, Lynn Denton's a great guy, man. He he uh, he uh, he he ran that ran that uh, Portland Sportatorium and stuff down there like like you ought to. I mean, he was, he was a great guy. He was, he, when him and Tony Anthony were together as the rappers, they were a great tag team, but I've always been friends with Lynn Denton. But, you know, I just got tired of uh, Don Owens and him. They had a commission down there. The night that we won the belts from uh, the, the, uh, St- Steve, Scott Dahl, and, I mean, Steve Dahl and uh, Scott Peterson, they, uh, they had a commission there. And that son of a bitch sat over there on that, that, that damn guy. The, the commissioner sat on the front row and there was a cage match. So he came to see if anybody was cutting their head or anything. I went over to, to, I'm not going to name any names, but I, I went over to an apartment and cut my head with a blade and put, put that new skin on it. And that night in the cage, the commissioner sitting over on the front row because he's seen that cage and he said, there's no bleeding or anything, you know. I told Scott Peterson, run my head in the cage or, or rake my head across the cage, and he wouldn't do it. And I go, get out of the way. And I just took his hand and put it on top of my head and run my head across that cage and blood gush, you know. And I come back in the dressing room, the commissioner come over and, and uh, strip searched me, man, see if I had a blizzard. Wow. Yeah. There was a lot of people that had heat with the uh, commission uh, in – Oregon and all that. But what was it like working uh, in that territory with the the athletic commission? Because I've talked to a lot of the guys and it was it was pretty strict. I mean, like you said, there was a cage match and you don't want any blood. No. No. How, how the hell are you going to do that? The people never come back for you if they don't see blood in the cage match, man. Working The commission killed the uh, territory for a while. Oh, they did. They did. And he was an asshole. He watched me every day. All the time. Because of that night, I embarrassed him because he couldn't find a blade, you know. Uh, Buddy Rose, Colonel DeBeers, uh, Cuban Assassin, which was uh, Fidel, Cat, uh, Fidel Sierra. All Man, we had great talent, you know. And everybody there, uh, Billy Two Eagles was there. Art Barr. Sandy Barr was the referee. They were great. It was great talent. Man, I, it was just, it's, that's a different part of the United States. It rains nine months out of the year there. Scotty the Body. Came in there as I was leaving. I mean, Don Owens, when it really messed him up when Vince started running that uh, that power struggle against the, all the NWA. He he wanted the whole thing in his back pocket. Honestly, you know, you could make money. You wouldn't you make a living there, but you know, it wasn't great. It wasn't great at all. But you worked seven nights a week when you were in the territory. 
And I'll, did you happen to stay at a, uh, we, we've all heard stories about this place. Did you happen to stay at an apartment or a motel called the bomber? Hello. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, there's my well, answer. Me, <laughs> yeah, I live, I live by myself for a little while. Then my, when me and P and Deuce, he lived there too, or, or Avalanche. And then we moved in together. It's pate, pate every night. What kind of stories can you tell? What kind of story can you share with us about uh, life at the bomber? Because I've heard some great ones from Piper and some of the other guys. I'd, I'd love to hear one from you. Uh, well, you know, there was a lot of, you know what Schnabitz are? Well, uh, Schnabitz, a lot of, a lot of, uh, white stuff running around, man. Oh, okay. Yeah. And man, I'm, I'm going to tell you, man, we'd stay up all night long. We'd, we'd wake up and in Portland, it rains nine months out of the year. And we we would go down there to to the bomber restaurant and eat, and it'd be pouring rain, man. I man, I, I loved Portland for a little bit, but that rain just killed me, man. You know, we we had so much fun in that place. All the boys hung out there, and they'd be across the thing, and they'd come over where we were at and stuff. It just lined up, and they they kind of got pissed off at that because we we it was out of control, man. I mean, there was no rules there at all. I, I'm, I I can't tell you no more stories than that, man. But I'm telling you, man, that was that, they were glad we left. I I moved in with a girl that lived in Eugene. I had to get away from there, man, because it was it was a hotbed, man. There was that Piper. I had Piper, Piper. Uh, let's say Buddy Rose come over there. The Cuban assassin. All of them came over there all the time, man. It was just God. It was it was. It was a party every night, every night, every single night. It'd be lined up and cars couldn't even get through that little aisle and run around there to another apartment. And he never said nothing to us, you know. But I got back to Don. Don, hey, kind of got pissed about it. But great times, man. I'm enjoying hearing all these stories because these are a lot of the names. Uh, I just moved out of Texas about two years ago. And before that, I lived in uh, Northern California. So that's why I'm familiar with the uh, with the uh, Portland territory and all that. But I'm going to pass the mic back over to Glenn and bring him back in and see if he's got any questions for you. Maybe more about the you live in Texas? Northwest territory. You live in Texas. You live in Texas now. I live in Texas now. Yes. Where where, where at? I'm in Fort Worth. I, I was right. I was born in Wichita Falls, man. Hell, I got kicked out of that town. I can't even go back. I was just about to invite you to the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame sometime, but I guess that can't happen now. <laughs> well, they might have forgot about it by now because well, I went to a family reunion down there and my uncle took me to a haircutting place and he said, hey man, uh, I'm going to take you up to this barbershop. And I go, where we, the reunion was at Wichita Falls, Texas. And I go, uh, where's it at? And he goes, down here in Wichita Falls. I go, and right when we got there, I said, right, and he pulls up to the thing. I go, Uncle Herbert, I just want to tell you, man, I got kicked out of this town. I wasn't supposed to ever come back. And he goes, he goes, well, hell, maybe we'll sneak in here. I go, okay, I'm in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here, uh, Mike. I, I want to uh, keep us in, in, in the Portland area uh, and talk about a couple of guys uh, who left us way too young, way, way too young of an age. Uh, the first of which uh, is uh, Buddy Rose. I mean, Buddy Rose and Portland uh, are just synonymous with one another when, when people talk about the, the great highlights of Buddy's career. You had a chance to work with him in around 1988. And uh, while Buddy, his, uh, you know, he wasn't exactly uh, in the best of shape physically it seemed like what he didn't have in physical you know attributes he made up for it with the stuff he did on the mic and the way he could generate heat and talk about how you working with with buddy uh, both in the ring and uh, behind the scenes uh, the, the man himself uh, when it was not just buddy rose the competitor but uh paul pershman the man that's his real name yep i never knew that but buddy rose was awesome man you know i i turned baby facer when avalanche turned on me and so i, I they didn't book me until the that well i was booked the following week but i had to sit out in the parking lot for an hour and a half and then i got my cue to and i run in and i and uh i had my ribs taped up and stuff you know and and uh what what happened was avalanche slammed me and and uh i took this rubber full of blood and bit the rubber, and it looked like I had internal bleeding, you know. And and uh, so the ne- that was the week before this happened. So the the next week, I 
sit out there in the parking lot for an hour or hour and a half. So it was a long time, man. And I come into the damn ring with a with blue jeans on. I hurdled that damn fence with a baseball bat, and I slid underneath the rope and I beat the hell out of him, man, with that damn baseball bat. Because you know how you get yourself over in wrestling, you got to get yourself over. And for me being a heel, turning into a babyface, I I I whooped his ass, you know. And so then I I took a a drill and I drilled a hole through the right below the knob, right above the the knob, and drilled a hole in and put a leather strap around that son of a bitch, and I hung it up on the damn pole when I wrestled. And I told him, and after I did that to Avalanche, Matt Bourne and me went out there and did did an interview. And I said, uh, I just told him, I said, you know, how can a guy like me change into a good guy back in the ropes and break clean? I, I didn't do that. I was a heel face. And man, I'm telling you, man, I told them guys, I said, hey, when I get in the ring, you better get the feathers. So I'm going to knock, I'm going to knock out of you this bat. And boy, I'm telling you, Buddy Rose, I hit him four or five times with that damn bat, man. I knocked it every time. I'd come out there on TV with that, uh, that rope with that bat and, and stuff and buddy everybody could buddy could get out of the ring fast enough you know <laughs> buddy rose far as far as a, a person buddy rose was a great guy and for his size that sucker could bump like hell i don't know how he did that he did that when he'd go out of the ring and put his feet hang his body down outside the ring and hook his feet his toes and feet uh, his wrestling boots on the top rope and slide down that thing and hit the floor. I, I don't know how in the hell you could ever do that, but Buddy Rose could do it. He was a talented guy, man. Great guy. Oh, another guy I wanted to mention uh, who was a young man now and getting his wing, uh, getting his start in the pro wrestling business was uh, a guy you had the chance to work with uh, in Portland by the name of Art Barr. And Art Barr, of course, second generation with his uh, father, Sandy, and brother, uh, Jesse. Yeah. But what did you see when you worked with, with uh, Art Barr at that point, uh, given his... Uh, his uh, family lineage in pro wrestling, especially up in the Pacific Northwest. Well, Art Barr, in my opinion, should have been pushed a lot longer, a lot faster than he was, man. Because he, he, he did jobs back in man, and his daddy was a referee, and Jesse was his brother, and man, that damn Art Barr could work, man. I had goddamn classics with him, man. And, but he was so little, you know. Maybe the, you know, hell, it's like back in my day. If you was 150 pounds, you were a referee. If 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 you sit there and go, oh, no, I can wrestle. Not in my day, you didn't. You weren't no no gonna get in the ring. You were gonna be a referee. You better get you a black and white shirt. And then later on, Art got to go to NWA, uh, WCW or whatever, and they pushed him. But Piper came out there one night. They got Piper to come out there and talk about. Uh, damn, I can't remember that damn what he went went as. But Piper got out there and and uh, made a big spill about him. And I'm going to tell you, when Roddy Piper got on the microphone, everybody in Portland did what he said. He was a legend there. I'm telling you, nobody could touch Piper. And he did the Beetlejuice. He morphed him into, what was Beetle it, Beetlejuice. 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 Yeah, that's what it was. They started pushing him after Piper said that. Yeah, and, and you know he went on, of course, uh, to great fame, uh, international fame, and in, in, you know, in Mexico and in Japan, working with Eddie Guerrero. And boy, what a what a tag team that those two were! Right around uh, the uh, early to mid nineteen nineties, uh, right before his un- unfortunate passing, uh, those guys were. I mean, Eddie moved on to some big things, but uh, both Eddie and Art could have. Uh, it was another one of those great what ifs. Uh, but uh, of course, uh, we lost uh, Art Bar way too. Yeah, oh yeah. I feel the same way. I'll still talk to Jesse a little bit. Uh Eddie Guerrero, I, I I had classic matches with him. I wrestled all the Guerreros except for Gory the Daddy. Now which Every one, of, one of them? Now which of the Guerreros did you really I mean, you enjoyed working with the most? I mean, was it just one of those things where you could pick pick one match, one specific thing? But which one of the Guerreros did you really enjoy working with? Because I mean you had Chavo, Hector, Mondo, and Eddie also so very talented in their own way. Well, uh, you know, Chavo's the one that gave me my push in San Antonio, but Eddie, Eddie was a man. He was a man. Chavo was second. Hector was good too, but, uh, I wrestled Mondo. He's the oldest Mondo and then Hector and, and Chavo and Eddie. And, and I, I'm going to tell you, Eddie Guerrero was a, a son of a gun in the ring. I'm telling you, he could, he could just, 
you could walk around the ring and call a spot, and it, he was there. Chavo too, man. But but Eddie was was the baby. He and high flying man. I, you know, he goes get on the top rope. I go, I can't get up there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not doing that high flying, man. I was a mat wrestler, man. I wasn't taught that way, man. <laughs> I want to bring uh huh. I'm going to bring in uh, Mike McCurdy uh, to, uh, for one more one more question here uh, before we uh, we we get going here. Uh, just one more segment, uh, Mike. You have uh, uh, something more for Mike uh, Golden here. Uh, I mean, we're going to have to bring back Mr. Golden for uh, another uh, encore performance here in the next uh, couple of months. But do you have uh, anything else that you'd like to uh, ask him uh, just on this first go around with Mike Golden? Honestly, I think I'd like to see. Uh, do you follow any of the current? product and if so just what's your what's your take on the the current scene on the wwe tna ring of honor just any of the current uh i watch tna uh, uh cody rhodes uh i worked for dusty rhodes when i read but that was the end of my day man i worked for Dusty, and i met cody and 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 stuff you know but uh wwe this this is my take on it when they didn't honor chavo Guerrero. And he died, and and it, for the first time in three years, I was going to watch it. They didn't, and, and I sat there and watched this. You know, it's three hours long on Monday Night Raw, and my wife goes, "Okay, we'll watch it." You know, because she don't care nothing about that. You know, but and that's fine. But when they didn't honor, and they may have, I did, I just watched an hour and a half of it, and I just sat there and shook my head, and she goes, "What's wrong?" I go, "Man." I don't even know how the hell it stays on TV, man. It's awful. It's like a circus, man. And it wasn't it wasn't the way I was brought into the business, man. You know, you paid your dues, you got your ass kicked, and then you went out to when you finally got trained, you had matches and stuff like that. And then you, you learned. It wasn't just overnight. You paid your dues and learned. And then they it's it's like a circus to me. I'm sorry, man. I hope that don't affect your ratings, but I'm telling you. Uh, that, that's just my opinion, man. Uh, I just, I just don't get it, man. And, and I have uh, pay-per-views every weekend, you know, and I don't know how many they, how many, uh, how well they do on them, on those. And honestly, I don't care because I think in my era, wrestling was wrestling. It was believable. It wasn't a cartoon. And, and, and there was two guys that they built that angle to mean something and then once that angle went to the furthest they could take it that was over they split them up and that that was believable that's just my opinion man hey and your opinion is definitely uh welcomed and valued here uh we have a program called wrestling memory so we are definitely old school enthusiasts and we definitely love having you on here uh for this uh nearly an hour appearance and, and uh, as we uh part today i want to thank you for coming on the program we may have to do a little focus maybe do a round table maybe do a little something where we have uh you come back again and share some more of memories that you haven't had the opportunity to share this time around hey hey man i i, I enjoyed it man y'all y'all are great hey and, and thank you for taking the time and you're definitely welcome uh to come back again to the program for mike golden michael mccurdy i'm glenn Broggett. you have been listening to wrestling memories then and now